what the average household spends doesn't include the big European vacation. It doesn't include charitable contributions of a major nature. It doesn't include potentially uh, having a life insurance policy to leave a legacy to their children. So most people have what I call as an income challenge. And it's really the spending challenge. I, want to, I need to spend $4,200 a month. I'm bringing in $3,300 with Social Security. So how do I accumulate assets and benefits over my working life to fill that gap? This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Harry Stout, welcome back to the Better Wealth Podcast. Caleb, it's my pleasure to be with you as always. I look forward to our conversation today. You are one of my favorite people to talk to for a couple of reasons. <laughs> Number one, you know a ton about money, but you, we can also nerd out on all types of strategies from the business side because of your background, but then also from the consumer side. You're one of the best that can speak to the consumer meaning my audience, like we're going to talk about a lot of things that are misconceptions. We're going to talk about how to have strategies with spending in retirement. And we're going to talk about the A word, annuity. And I'm excited about that. But then we could flip the switch and you could talk about distribution strategies on recruiting advisors to better wealth. And that's what I love so much about you. How is it in uh, good old Florida? Oh, it's it, no, fantastic. Uh, the tour, it's after Mother's Day. Tourists are gone. And uh, no, it's quite, it's quite nice, actually. It's starting to get hot there? Uh, a little bit, but it's quite bearable, actually. You wrote an article and you very much talked about the spend more in retirement. And you're very much noted for, for this quote that it's like, if we switch this concept from retirement income to retirement spending, like that is the conversation that we should have. So I'm, let's say I take a seat at the table and say, I want to understand this retirement game. And there's the people out there that are saying annuities are horrible. There's the Wade Fowles out there that are talking about, you know, the 4% rule might be too aggressive. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of questions about what is the best way to approach this whole retirement. And so let's assume I don't know nothing about the financial products. Let's walk through how I can go through a framework of, of deciding like how much should I need? I know that you've talked about multiple buckets of of you know desired income and other things and so i, I want to like walk through that and and hopefully we can really glean a lot of like knowing more about this retirement income game and, and knowing what what to do next let me work with you on this when you look at it uh in our country today i will draw on some sources that i used on a regular basis i mean the key to financial personal financial success for me is positive after-tax cash flow for my entire life not just for today, but for my entire life. So I've got to have positive or at least break even cash flow. Now, the difficulty in our society today is we're all living longer. And even and it's someone retiring today at age 65, I think the life expectancy for a male, and I don't want to get wonky on you, but I think it's important. Male retiring today has another, I think, 17 years of life expectancy to age 83. Female, 20 years to age 85. So if you think about it, as you work towards retirement, you've got to fund, let's say, those 20 years, and you've got to have the money to do that. And so where do you begin as you look at this? Well, I try to look at 
retirement is being one, being able to cover my costs, my spending. And I think a lot of people, as you mentioned, they view spending as being more important than retirement income. So retirement spending, I want to be able to spend. I don't want to run out of money. So so what I try to do is, is help people understand, if you take, for instance, if you take a typical household in the United States today that's run by a 65-year-old, they spend about $50,000 a year, 50 grand, about $4,200 a month. Same couple, let's assume they're both age, uh, age 66 this year because the, the full retirement age for Social Security is a little, a little older. But if they retire, their, their, their Social Security benefits typically about $1,650 per person, about $3,300 a month. So I think the fundamental issue for a lot of people is you've got $3,300 a month in, in uh, Social Security benefit, and you've got $4,200 a month in average spending. And so how do you fill the gap? And I get the, uh, the spending information from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's, it's published. It's available. And one of the key things there, Caleb, as you look at it, what the average household spends doesn't include the big European vacation. It doesn't include charitable contributions of a major nature. It doesn't include potentially uh, having a life insurance policy to leave a legacy to their children. So most people have what I call as an income challenge, and it's really the spending challenge. I want to, I need to spend $4,200 a month. I'm bringing in $3,300 with Social Security. So how do I accumulate assets and benefits over my working life to fill that gap? And, and so yeah, one, one last thing, and, and it colors the whole picture here. Remember, to, as people retire to, I mean, work today, I think less than 20% of people have a defined benefit pension plan at work. They're going to have a 401k plan, but you know that's how much income will that 401k generate versus you know what do you see in a defined benefit plan? So that's the fundamental framing. And then um, two other big, big considerations or th- three that I throw on top. And one is uh, medical costs. And what I do every year is I look at the Fidelity publishes uh, and they just recently published their 2021 estimate of medical expenses for a couple retiring in 2021. And what they say is that couple needs about $300,000 after tax saved to cover their medical costs in retirement. 1250 bucks a month. That's in addition to the 50000 on average that someone's spending a year. What, what it is is this. Fidelity's number is much more forward-looking than the Bureau of Labor Statistics because the Bureau of Labor Statistics looks at people that have already retired. And maybe those people have retirement health care plans because they worked years ago and they have some benefit. So the people looking to retire today, looking forward, they're looking at a much larger medical cost than the folks who have retired already. And different, different, uh, different dynamics there. And naturally, that $300,000 will change based on where you live in the country. If you have a health savings account, if you have post-retirement, a medical benefits potentially, but that's a big number. So to me, that's a shocker, right? That's, that's one that really gets my attention. The other one that um, I think people have to plan for, and it's really hard, is providing for long-term care. And again, in our country today, most people think that Medicare is going to provide, is going to pay their long-term care. And as we know, there's just a very limited benefit, less than 100 days of, of care that's provided for uh, in specific situations under Medicare. So folks need long-term care. And long-term care, and, and, and what I do there is I always look at the gen, uh, the gen worth cost of care survey 
They've published it every year for the last 15 years. And that shows you everything from the cost of adult babysitting to having a private room uh, at a long-term care facility. And the range is shocking. I think just basic, basic someone to look at it, and I don't mean to be in a derogatory way, say senior babysitting, but it's a senior daycare. I think that's, that can be $50,000 a year up to a private room being over 105,000. And again, those numbers change based on your geography. So how do you fund that if you get into a long-term care situation? Again, that's, that's significant. That's not in the Bureau of Labor Statistics number. That's an extra cost. And with so many people today having memory care issues and other needs, I think Genworth estimates that uh, about 70% of people over age 65 will have a long-term care event that they need to uh, have coverage for, be able to pay. To me, long-term care is the wild card. Yep. Medical, medical costs are significant. And then the last one, um, the last one, as I look at this whole, this income challenge is social security. All right. Now you and I, based on our ages, have, may have a different view of social security. Many people your age say, look, I'm never, they're never, I'm never going to have a benefit. It's not going to, to do anything for me. And then people my age are collecting, right? So you feel as though uh, my generation is collecting your benefit. But when you look at social security, a couple of things, and I think one thing that people don't know, and in this retirement income challenge we're talking about is social security is only designed to provide you with 40% of your pre-retirement income for the average person. Now, if you have a high earner that you're working with or you know making a lot of money, they might only get a benefit of 20%. Yeah. So you, when you look at that, it's not meant to provide you with your full retirement income. And... Um, so that's, that's significant. People need to realize that they can't, in most cases, households can't live on social security. They just can't. And, and yet we're, we're facing a situation over the next number of years, you're going to see potential reform, you know, higher taxes, changing of benefits, more classes of income will, will be potentially taxed. I mean, we don't, tax, we don't tax passive income today. So in framing this overall retirement income challenge, I say to folks, Take a look, you know, are you spending about, you know, you're spending $50,000 a year? Most people say, yeah, that's what I do. I spend at least that much. Yeah. And then, you know, how much guaranteed income do you have coming in for your, for your retirement? And they look at their social security benefit. And the assumption is that they, are, they will qualify. They'll have the requisite number of quarters to make things work. And, uh, and then so we have this gap. And what annuities do as you have this gap conversation and again, I'm just trying to frame it for your audience. You know, most people are using annuities to generate income to pay for the essential expenses of life. One of the more, most, the great things, and I have these, by the way, so I eat my own, if you will, I eat my own cooking. Um, it, it's really great to have those checks coming in every month that cover all your, your essential living expenses. You don't have to worry about that. And so, uh, and I need to have that, and individuals need to have that income coming in for their entire life. Yep. So that's a framing, I think, of the, con does that help you as you oh, begin to look at it? 100% it does. It, it, another way to think about this is uh, when we think of retirement, we, we think of like, okay, we want our money to work for us. But at the end of the day, we should want the work and the discipline and the sacrifice we made during our work years to translate into cash flow. Because cash flow makes businesses go around, it makes personal economies go around. You would, you would be, you could be a billionaire, but if you don't have money coming in, you're not going to be able to buy food. No, you're right. 
positive cash flow is key. It's so important. And, and if we look at this, and I, I have a key point I want to bring in. If you look back 20 years, 20 years ago, you say you could retire and you could buy a corporate bond paying 8% interest and, and, and most of the company, a highly rated corporate bond, and you could create a flow of retirement income you feel pretty comfortable about. You can't do that today. That's yeah. one of the difficult issues. You, the, that's why there are no real sources of guaranteed lifetime income to give you those checks every month. And that's why I think annuities position better today than they have in a number of years, because there are fewer alternatives to people for them to look at. So what we found is anyone that comes to us that has a pension or a significant pension uh, as their quote unquote retirement plan ha- are, is usually or almost always better position than the person without it. And people might say, oh, I hate, I hate annuities, but no one's going to sacrifice their social security, which IE is a pension, IE, which is an annuity. An annuity. Everyone owns one. Exactly right. Yes. <laughs> and, and so if you, it's a, uh, I had a, a good friend of mine, Dave, he's like, Hey, if you, if you don't like annuities, you can sign over your social security to me. I'll, I'll, I'll take it all day long. But the other thing that I want to say is when I, when I worked at the bank, there was this couple that came in. Um, they both worked very hard. They wanted to retire. And in their head, they just thought like this retirement, like you just hit an age and money comes in. And I, I remember the conversation like it was yesterday because I had to, I pretty much had to share with them. This is what they were going to have. And it was a fraction of what they thought was going to happen. Uh-huh. But they never, no one ever helped them plan from a cash flow perspective. And I remember, I remember that moment saying like, if, if and when I ever have the opportunity to serve people, I want them to understand what's really going on. And a lot of these, a lot of these quote unquote problems could have been avoided if 10, 15 years from now, we could redirect some of that money into solutions, tools that would be, better be able to serve them. And so that, was, that for me was like the really aha moment. And so just anything that you wanna to say to those points? Oh, uh, totally right. And, and it, let's build along the better wealth concept of living intentionally. And I'm a Stephen Covey fan. You always begin with the end in mind. Well, if I'm going to retire, when will that be? Or, and I don't, in, in my books, I call it, when will I enter my fulfilling years? When will I be able to do the things I want to do? And by the way, it could be that I want to start doing something different at age 45. Yeah. It could be that I want to do it at 55. I may want to keep going down 75. But uh, so as you look at this, you really have to have a plan and in this case, if you don't have a plan, it's, it's, you're not going to get where you want to be. It's yeah. just essential. And I think that's what's happening today to um, Caleb is with so many of the baby boomer generation really you know, now in retirement or moving into retirement, the aha moment has finally come. How do I convert these accumulated assets into cash flow that I can use to live? And then they find out certain things like, oh, my social security is taxable? Yes, it is. You mean I could have used cash value life insurance and taken loans and avoided all that? Yes, you could have done that. So why didn't anyone talk to me about this? Why didn't, why didn't somebody talk to me when I was age 50 and help, as you just mentioned, and help me get all this aligned? Because it, it's really essential. And that's why I've been beating this drum. And the thing about annuities um, is, they're, again, they're a tool. Yep. They're not a solution for everyone. But today, there are, you know, there are at least six different types of annuities. You can get no load annuities, low load annuities. You know, the commission is another conversation we can have at a point in time about commissions on annuity products. But 
everyone gets a, you know, everyone gets paid for selling. You're, you're not going to, you're not going to be in any, be it a direct, uh, if you buy a product directly, you buy it from a, a, a financial professional, people have to get paid to provide the services they provide. You just need to know what they're getting paid. That's right. And I think that's part of the disclosure process. You need to understand that. So I want to get into the six type of annuities, but before that, I want to talk about the two type of buckets. And you mentioned this early on, but when you when you talk about retirement income and you've made it a point that every financial product is a tool, yes, and we we have to think with the end in mind. I think it's very I, I think it's very very clear about the cash flow, and I love what you talk about having pro- positive or at least break even. What that means is that you have enough cash flow coming in where you're at least not going in the hole or in the red every month because that that's not a good equation unless you're the US government for some reason they they can print money and it can be okay but we we don't have printing presses and so that's not a good behavior long term absolutely and um, it's just so important because today there are, there are a number of other issues too Caleb we have uh, i believe 6% of the grandparents in our country today are raising their grandchildren uh, different things come up, illnesses that you don't know that, that, that some family matter. So you've, you've got to be able to have good cash flow. You also need to have some money around to help your family for other kinds of things that are there. And again, planning is the key here. And, and annuities get a, I, I don't know why, I, I actually, I do. In the research that has been done by LIMRA, the Life Insurance Marketing and Research Association, they find that most, most consumers really don't understand annuities. They, they just think of them, oh, that's an income annuity. So I, you mean I give them 50000 and they give me a check every month. They don't realize there are other types of annuities that provide accumulation, other types of benefits that could, that could position them. And then one of the reasons that they don't know, and I'm not saying this disparagingly, is, is many financial professionals don't really have a comprehensive knowledge yep. of these products and how they fit in position. And again, these products are not for everyone, just like life insurance and cash value life insurance is not for everyone. But uh, so you need to know the circumstances where the product applies and how it can help people get to the financial success that they really want to have. So we could look at the Ken Fishers, the Dave Ramseys, the, the many people out there that tend to be heavy on one type of philosophy of how they think about retirement income. I even misspoke there. Retirement income. I don't think they're talking about retirement income. They're no, no. Accumulation. Yeah. So why do why is there such a hatred? Like, can we first seek to understand like why do people hate annuities and why is there such a hatred for that? Um, because it seems like the A word could can really take someone and ruin their day depending on who they are. Oh, I, I think basically it's gotten back to the fees in upfront commissions that are involved in annuity products. And um, so people don't, you know, they're saying, oh, that rep is going to make 10% on the annuity purchased and I'm going to be stuck paying fees for my entire life. So it's a very expensive solution for the benefit that I get. And I think that world has changed in my judgment significantly through disclosure, product design and what's available in the marketplace. Again, you and I could have a really good conversation about what is more, you know, what is worse a 5% upfront commission on annuity or 1% a year for the next 20 years. I think you'd find that that 5% upfront, provided you're going to hold that annuity product, is much 
uh, a much better solution. And in fact, I've always looked, there's a Wall Street Journal article written by Jonathan Clemens. He's now retired and he has another business. But when he was at the Wall Street Journal, he wrote an article saying, look, upfront commissions are better than, uh, than paying uh, fees for your entire life. So it's a, I think that's, that's the situation. It was really the upfront fees. Now, people haven't taken the time, and in particular, upfront fees with respect to variable annuity contracts. Significant complexity, a lot of different moving parts, a lot of different fees and charges versus, say, fixed annuities, which are much, much simpler. What has happened in particular the last 10 years with disclosure, product design, have made this a much different game. It's important for that consumer, before you part with your money, you need to understand what you're buying and what you're paying to buy that product. And uh, so you, you do have a responsibility also. Now, disclosures have improved so you can see that information, but uh, you, know, you, you have to be able to uh, make that judgment yourself and you have to understand what you're buying. In, in other words, they can get a bad rap because you could look at the quote unquote commission that you'd be paying and over 20 year period, you could do a case study and say, that's actually not even an issue if you look at the total fee drag and cost of where at the opportunity cost where you're putting your money. But then the second thing is, let's get really clear on the result. This is what I think no one talks about. Is, yeah, yeah, keep, keep going. Yeah, we could talk about X, Y, or Z about a fee, but at the end of the day, is a fee worth paying if it's giving you X, Y, and Z result and if that result helps you? And I feel like that's the big disconnect. The big disconnect that I'm seeing right now is people don't actually know what they want. And they're not working with someone that's helping them give, like maximize cash flow. I don't care if you're paying 5% a year. And, and again, I do. Yes. Because, but at the end of the day, does it really matter if you're maximizing your result? No, no, no. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Annuities are an insurance product. They're not in, and, and that's important because once you say insurance, it has the insurance wrapper of regulation and all of the, the state-based regulation model, solvency, other requirements around. It's not the same as comparing it to a mutual fund or comparing it to a bank certificate of deposit. They are different. So when you have an insurance product, you're buying certain guarantees, certain options, you're buying income options, you're getting certain benefits with that annuity product that you're that in most cases are not available with the other options that are out there. So uh, and, and that's one of the one of the keys. I think one of the other issues too, and and, and I'll say this, and I, I just say it as I think it's re it's real. It's the fight for assets. You know, if I'm if typically his hist historically, the registered representative broker dealer community uh, didn't like the fixed annuity products because they felt as though they were losing the asset. It wasn't in an equity based product. That's changed a lot in the last uh, over the last five to seven years, and I think that many of the major security businesses are selling indexed annuities. They're selling multiple year guarantee annuities. They're seeing the value. They understand now that they are really a structured product and it really combining uh, elements of bonds with some derivatives to produce a result for the consumer. And I think those organizations are, are understanding that. And as a result, they've added these products to their shelf and they're selling them. The world has changed, but the key for the consumer is what product do I buy that's going to give me that guaranteed check that's going to be there for as long as I live? And lastly, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll continue my hallucination here for you a little bit, Caleb, is that, again, you're not looking to put 100% of your money into these contracts. You're looking to put 
enough to, to, to really cover those essential expenses that you have. So you, you reduce the risk of running out of money. And, and that's really important. And that's what you, you need to do. That's why they're there. So, uh, and then one last point, and I think this is one that people lose sight of, and I, I write about it in my books and I write about it in my posts. Annuities are not checking accounts. And I think many people have taken money, bought an annuity product and viewed it. Why isn't this like a checking account? Why can't I get money out? Why can't I just get my money and, and get those guarantees and get those income benefits and be able to pull my money out, 100% of my money anytime I want? Well, given the regulatory structure we have in our country and how you have to reserve the capital you have to put up behind those products, that's just not possible. So consumers need to know, an annuity is not a checking account. It's a medium to long-term product that's a tool to, to, to help you address certain financial risk and certain financial situations that you have. They are not checking accounts. And, for, and that liquidity need, if, if, you, if you're putting $20,000 into annuity and you need that next year for your daughter's wedding, or if you need it, you, know, you need it for the roof on your house next year, you shouldn't be buying these products. They are long-term and they have charges and they have other costs that uh, cannot be amortized in a very short period of time. A lot that I want to jump into, but one one question that I want to ask is how much income should I plan for? So you you talk about, you know, essential, which might be a trigger word for some people in the world that we live in now, Um, but but it makes sense. It's like, um, how much risk can you take? Well, let's make sure that you get the, your needed income covered. And then what I'm hearing you say is if you get that, then there's other strategies. There might be some alternatives. There might, might, you can potentially roll the dice on, you know, do you go to Europe or not, but don't, but don't be putting your, your crypto money and, and telling yourself that that's going to be next, next year's retirement income stream. So when you're sitting down with somebody or educating them, what is, how are you thinking about buckets as it relates to how much they should plan for? How do they determine that? Do they, do they look at what they're currently spending? Where does inflation go into that? Um, because I feel like 20 years from now, um, we'll need to do something to increase that standard of living. So how are you approaching that situation? I, I kind of look at things in two buckets, discretionary, discretionary expenses and non-discretionary expenses. The non-discretionary bucket, heat, light, power, mortgage, real estate taxes, rent, uh, the key elements, basic elements of life, your health, your, your, you know, your insurance for your car, for your home, uh, the basics that you need to, you know, to just live in your home and, and not, not sign- and, and maybe you go out to dinner a few times, uh, a few times a month and so on. But those are your essential expenses or discretionary, co- I mean, non-discretionary costs. The discretionary cost would be the European trip the large contribution to your church or the educational institution that you uh, attended. So when you look at that, you've got those two buckets. So working with a financial professional, you need to take a look granularly at what you have and, and just come up with that and say, well, look, you know, realistically, when I turn 65, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have Commuting, well, commuting expenses have gone by the wayside now, but uh, maybe you get a, be- uh, a benefit on your real estate taxes in the home that you live because most communities give a discount to folks over age 65. Uh, but I've got a plan for additional health care costs. So you, you need to work with a financial professional to massage what those essential expenses or, or, or if you will, non-discretionary expenses are. And then 
really sit down and talk about what kind of retirement you want and uh, for the, the discretionary piece. Because if you want to travel a great deal, you want to contribute, you want to do a variety of things, you kind of have the cash to do that. Yeah. So I think those are basic building blocks that you have to do. Now, as you look at that, at the end of the day, many people come up with what's called a replacement ratio, income replacement ratio. So they may take a look at the, uh, uh, they may take a look at their non-discretionary costs and say they are 40,000 a year and they're making $80,000 a year before their retirement. And they're saying, okay, I need to, I got to have at least 40,000, you know, $40,000 a year to cover those items. And uh, that's my income replacement ratio. So there, there are a number of ways to work and triangulate that different financial, uh, Professionals have different models and different ways that they work with consumers to get there. Now, let's go to your 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 wild card of inflation, and um, this is something that my generation felt significantly, uh, particularly back in the seventies uh, when I had a twelve percent mortgage on my home. Uh, when you were getting ten percent annual increases in salary to kind of offset the fact that the dollar was uh, depreciating in in front of your front of your eyes, even though you know you got an I, I got a nine percent raise, that inflation was fifteen. You were falling behind each year. Uh, that that to me is really um, uh, uh, something you need to think through because in the overall mix of your investments, the overall mix of your assets, you have to have some that generate, that, that, that are really more responsive to inflation. Most people will say that equities, having a good allocation to equities should give you some inflation protection. Um, so again, this is what a financial professional will do to working with you to, to, to achieve. But you can see, and, and as, as we talk uh, about this, Caleb, you probably have 100 to 200 questions that you need to begin to ask yourself. Yeah. And, and that's why you have to have a plan because to be, to, 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 if you will, to, to do this on your own without having a plan in place and working with a professional, in my judgment, is really difficult because we haven't even talked about claiming strategies for Social Security. We haven't talked about really making sure you're providing for health care needs on a, on, a good, on a good basis. Should I, as a younger person, have a health savings account? Should I not have a health savings account? There are a number of different factors. And, and that's why as you get together to work with that financial professional, you can come up with your long-term plan and you got a base plan that you're working with and you can pretty much gauge where you're going and you'll change it as you, as you age. And as you, as you hit certain milestones and get closer to that date when you want to stop working. And, uh, but you have to have, and my, I just think it's so important to have that plan. And so many people just don't. And uh, they say, well, it'll, it'll work out. You know, it'll be okay. And, and the answer is, it, you have to live intentionally on this. You really do. Because if you, if you don't, you will not get to where you want to be. Yeah. And what happens is, um, and you've seen probably some of your friends live this, but what happens is you don't want to run out of money. So if you don't have this thing planned and you don't feel certain, you're just going to live like a miser in the years that should be some of the best years of your life, you know? And, and yet the fear of running out of money is real. And, and so if you don't have that certainty, if you don't have a plan, most people probably don't run out of money, but they just live a way low, lower standard of living because they just of the unknown. Or they don't live the life they could have, as you mentioned, in their younger years. And I have a personal story there. My wife's parents worked and they saved a reasonable amount, had a really, uh, really wonderful nest egg. And my father-in-law turned 65 
They went on a cruise to Alaska as one of their first major trips as part of their plan for retirement. And my mother-in-law was dead within six months and they never chance she 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 had uh, was discovered to have cancer she passed away in 6 months they never got a chance to really do that and i think that's telling because you do and this is if you have a plan now you could do it you need to balance enjoying yourself yeah. while at this you know you got to live life and, and you and you can't save to the point where you can't live life so that's why if you have a plan, then you can know what your tolerances are. Hey, look, I can spend $5,000 to go to the islands this year, or I can go to Hawaii and do the vacation, or I can go to the, the football games I want to go to or something. I can do that and still keep my plan on, on, on uh, track. And I am an advocate of doing those good things for yourself. I think that's part of self-care. That's part of just being living life. And you can't put off everything to the end because you may not have the end. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, and that's why if you don't know where you're going and you don't know where you are, it's really, it's really difficult to uh, determine and make those decisions. I want to dive into just the different type of annuities. And if, and if you're a consumer listening to this, take notes, but this is really for the people that are financial professionals, our financial advisors do want to do right by their clients. What is like in a, in a five minute or less summary, what are the different type of annuities? I bet you have a stance on not one is good or bad, but they're all tools and they're all tools that translate into certain outcomes and results. So it, can you go walk through like the, give us a, a high level overview of some of the annuities and what outcomes that they do if they're working ideally for somebody? Take in the United States every year, uh, we sell about a quarter of a trillion dollars of annuities. Wow. So the market's about uh, $240 billion of annuities are sold each year. And we have a variety of different types and as I describe a type, the type really relates to how interest is earned on the contract. So first off, we have fixed annuities and fixed annuity is, is exactly that fixed. The contract earns 3% uh, 3% on the, on the $100,000. Let's create an example that you put into the contract. So insurance company declares 3% rate. You know what it is. That's what you get paid. Another type of annuity is an indexed annuity. An indexed annuity is a fixed annuity, but the rate of interest is tied to the difference in an index, like the S&P 500 or a variety of different indices out there. And uh, that product has become very popular over uh, the last decade as uh, fixed interest rates have declined and equity markets have improved. And so those products are a combination of derivatives and bonds, but that's fixed. That's what, how the interest is credited to an index that is specified and that you know about. And, and usually in fixed annuities, if, the, if there's no upside in the index, you get credited zero. So it's not like you have any downside risk, but you have potential higher upside. And over a longer period of time, you could look at how a fixed index annuity could outperform a fixed annuity. Yes, we, we could go into that in quite some depth. But I think the key concept for uh, the consumers in your audience would be that a fixed annuity, your, your, downside, your downside is protected on those products. Yep. You're not going to lose principal. And that's the key there, right? Principal is protected. Yep. Third type of annuity would be a variable annuity. And a variable annuity is different. And variable in the sense the returns can be variable because the returns are tied to the performance of a basket of investments that the insurance company provides. You can decide what investment. So you can lose, you can lose principal with a variable annuity, but 
On the other hand, there are some guarantees in those products you may want to take advantage of, and you may have more of a risk, you have more of a risk profile such that I'm willing to put my money into the equity markets and get more of an equity market rate of return than fixed. So maybe you're a 40-year-old and a variable annuity could fit you very well, whereas if I'm 55, I might want a fixed annuity because I don't want to have a risk that I, to the equity markets. So the third type would be a variable annuity. A fourth type is a new product called a buffered or registered uh, indexed annuity and a RILA. And what, what these products are is they have characteristics. They're a variable annuity, but the loss you can incur is capped. So you may be, maybe you, the maximum loss you can incur in a given year is 10 to 30%. And in exchange for that, you get a higher upside. So it's just a, it's a really of a combination of an indexed annuity and a variable annuity, but it is a variable product, but it has certain uh, thresholds on it. And that's a very popular product today, by the way, growing rapidly. And in fact, in the last quarter, uh, grew about 90% sales of those buffered or registered indexed annuities because it's a really good consumer product right now. Very good consumer product. Uh, the next type of annuity that you'll see are number, the sixth are immediate annuities. And what they are is simply, uh, Caleb, uh, you, if you will, in our conversation today, you give me $100,000. And as the insurance company, I agree to pay you a certain amount for a duration that you pick, uh, 10 years, 20 years, your life. So you give up that $100,000 in exchange for a, life, uh, a period or lifetime of payments immediate annuity. And those products are out there today and they fit a lot of people because they, they have different needs. Uh, they don't sell uh, anywhere near the magnitude of the, uh, the previous products I've talked about, but uh, they sell about uh, a billion and a half to two billion a quarter. And then the last type of product is uh, something that's come out in the last 10 years is the deferred income annuity. And as, as part of that, something called a QLAC, a qualified lifetime annuity contract. And what deferred annuities are, there are people that, for instance, they're really concerned about living long, long lives. I'm, I'm really concerned about living till I'm, till I'm 90. So, uh, the, or excuse me, 90 or my family, a lot of my family lives to 100. Yeah. These deferred contracts or deferred income contracts allow you to put money in where the benefits don't pay out till you turn age six, 85. And QLAC is a, is a similar kind of product relating to qualified money where you can put a certain amount in to pay out in later years. And so uh, that's a summary of, of those products. Now, six different products, different characteristics, different pros, different cons. And so you need to work with a financial professional to see which one fits your needs and how you're looking to create your cash flows and how you're willing to you know, really plan for, for your, uh, you know, your total retirement or your fulfilling years. And these products, again, are each a tool that you can use. Some are more accumulation focused. Others are distribution focused. You know, you might want to take, uh, hey, look, I, I want to take uh, $200,000 that I have and I want a monthly income for the next 10 years. I really am going to do a lot of traveling and I'd like to have that monthly income and say I'm 70 and I want to get a, that, that extra cash coming in and guaranteed basis over the next decade. You might pick an income annuity for a ten, with a 10-year period to do that. On the other hand, so you might want to say, look, I don't want to touch any of this money. 
let's just let it accumulate. Can you find me the vehicle that it's going to accumulate potentially the highest? And I'm willing to take a little bit of risk because I have other assets that I'm comfortable with. And, you know, I don't need a lot of liquidity. I'm fine. I got plenty of uh, my personal savings. I'm fine. So again, each is a different tool that you use for the consumer to meet their needs. Does that summary kind of that overview kind of help? One of the best summaries I've heard on the different type of annuities. And what I'm hearing you say is get really clear on the outcome that you want and then use these as a tool along with other financial strategies and products to custom build the, the, the retirement plan, the income plan, the cash flow plan, whatever you want to call it, um, to best suit your needs. And I feel like, again, if there's one thing I want people to get by this conversation that we're having is retirement. Think of spending and income and cash flow rather than assets and you know rate of return. Oh, no, abs- absolutely right. Because you, you really need to protect your spending because most people want to keep their quality of life. Yeah. They want to, they want to, I mean, and what they do, they want to go to the restaurants. They want to make sure, by the way, I, w- I want my quality of life, but please protect me if I have a, a negative health outcome. Yeah. I've got to have something put away. I mean, like as we talk about emergency funds with younger people and we help them get established and make sure they have an emergency fund as part of their overall planning. That's what you're doing here. But ultimately, to me, it's after-tax cash flow. And it's so important because if you have that, you can, and then um, with inflation and other potential risks that you face, maybe you can buffer those by your investment strategy or by having other insurance products. Maybe you can find some long-term care protection, for example, that gives you some benefit that you could use to make sure your cash flows don't deteriorate should a significant event take place. Well, Harry, I, I see you as someone that we're, we're, it's only a matter of time until we have a series because there's so many other questions that I, w- I want to have. But, but I want to also understand that it's like, okay, I, I think we did a really good job, big picture. How do people find out more about you, get your book, support what you're up to? And then I want to ask you, instead of the legacy question, I want to ask you what your big takeaway should be if people are helping people in retirement or if someone's nearing their retirement age. You, you mentioned 100 to 200 questions. I'm wondering what the one or two questions that you would start with of that. But first, how can people support your mission? Yeah, they can They can reach, find me at financialverse.com. And actually, I've written a, a book, a new book on today's annuity products, a tool to create protected lifetime income. And in doing so, Caleb, it's this is an objective book that's designed to help either a consumer or a financial professional learn more so they really have a comprehensive understanding. The key thing about consumers is they many of them feel uncomfortable working with a financial advisor because they feel as though they don't know what they don't know. And, and what I tried to do was design a book that they could read. It's you know a couple hour read written at a reasonable level for them to be able to understand so they feel comfortable going in to talk to a financial advisor. Uh, so that's, that's important. Um, what I would say is this, with respect to a financial professional or an individual, I think a financial professional wants to be the trusted advisor, the trusted source for that, for that customer. And they want to keep that relationship going as, as, as long as possible. And I, I've always believed in the trusted partner, the, tr- the, pr- the trusted professional approach. To do so, transparency, clearly understanding the needs, risk tolerance of that consumer, because for certain consumers, maybe these are too risky and they would feel terrible. They wouldn't sleep at night. On the other hand, many people realize that what annuities do is they do enable you to sleep better at night. 
and for consumers, again, uh, one of the one of the things that I try to advocate, and I know you know this, is uh, uh, 17 minutes a day on improving your financial knowledge and skill set. I think it's worth taking some time to read and understand what annuities are all about, because they may be a tool that you can use in making you uh, get the level of financial success and comfort that you want. Harry, I really appreciate the education, your ability to communicate, your ability to write, and your ability to come on the show and your friendship in just helping everyone rise the tide and be better off. Thank you so much. And guys, go get his book and get educated. And if you're if you are an advisor or financial professional, lean into this. I don't care if you're an asset person, if you're a life insurance person, if you're a real estate person, like we have to understand financial products as tools that equal outcomes. And a lot of times, if you can get really clear in where someone's at, you can help translate where they're at, what they want, and help them accomplish that by understanding different type of tools. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure to be with you as always, Caleb. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.